Slate's Negotiation Academy is brought to you by FedEx. FedEx does more than shipping. They offer businesses a range of valuable solutions. Explore the solutions at fedex.com slash solutions that matter. Hi, I'm Jill Barche. And I'm Seth Stevenson. Welcome to Episode 9 of Slate's Negotiation Academy. In Episode 8, we talked about haggling over real estate. Now we're going to talk about how to negotiate with your children. Now, I don't have any kids, but Jill, I have met your adorable three-year-old Harper, and I'm sure you negotiate with her all the time. Whether I want to or not, this is me and Harper negotiating over what she's going to eat for breakfast. Harper, did you say you wanted banana or orange? I said banana and orange. Both? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'll make half a banana and half an orange. No, I want to have two halves of bananas. That was an incredible rejoinder by Harper. She really reframed the argument there, Jill. How did you respond to that? (laughs) I gave her all the bananas and all the oranges. (laughs) Some people would say, why are you even negotiating with your child? This is what you're having for breakfast. You're the parent. You decide. Well, why should you negotiate with your child? Why shouldn't you just lay down the law? I talked with Mark Sawson. He's a child psychologist and a professor of psychology at Pace University in New York City. And he says the wisdom of negotiating with your child is respect. It shows your child that you respect him, that you care about his voice and his feelings, and you're going to incorporate that into your family life. It also helps a lot when you're the dictator, and I was surprised to learn this. He says you don't want to negotiate everything in life with your kid. You are the parent, just like the pilot is in charge of the airplane or the doctor's in charge of the emergency room, and there are some things that you decide. I mean, if you are a professional nutritionist, it might be right for you to dictate every day what your kid's going to eat for breakfast. But for me, that's something that's negotiable. And so when I do dictate to my daughter something, like you're not going to go outside in the dead of winter without a coat on, Dr. Sawson says your child's more likely to comply because he or she realizes she has a voice other times. Sure. It's like if you're an employee and your boss never lets you have a say in anything, they just always tell you this is how it's going to be. You, you get sick of listening to that after a while. Right. What really blew my mind is when you start negotiating. You don't wait till they're a teenager or middle school years. You begin negotiating with your kids almost right out of the womb. Dr. Sawson calls it pre-negotiation. Let's say a six-month-old's in the high chair, and uh, you really would have an agenda, and you have a time schedule, and you would like to feed the child, and you've just begun to use some spoon feeding, and the child turns their head and closes their eyes in what would be a clear statement of... I've had enough or I'm not ready for another bite. You could overpower them and force the feed, or you could say, oh, this is going too fast. Let me slow down. Let me back up and accommodate to what you're showing me. And that's a negotiation. And the child gets that and comes back and becomes a partner again. And that's the basis for all later negotiation. We could jump ahead to a two-year-old who gets very angry and picks up something that clearly no one would want them to throw at something they would not want them to throw at, and the parent can just say no in a way that says, no, you can't be angry and I won't tolerate anger. Or you could say, no, you can't throw that, but I understand you're angry, and here's 
acceptable ways of expressing it. Here's the paper you can throw, here's the Nerf ball you can throw, here's a box you can throw it in, that's okay. Here's a symbolic figure you can hit or uh, in some other way show. And I'm going to pay attention to what you're mad at and be helpful to you in thinking about solutions. So in that way, there's been a kind of negotiation. No, you can't do that, but yes, you can do this because I see how important that is to you and I see how valid your feeling state is. That's a pre-negotiation. And Dr. Sawson says those early negotiations can really set the tone for your whole relationship with your child. Right. The problem with verbal negotiations you might have with a teenager often stem from the fact that you're not used to adjusting to or accommodating the needs and wishes of your kid when they're very young. So what are some of the techniques you can use to negotiate with a kid? Dr. Sawson says the first step is to show empathy, that you see what your child feels. If your kid's expressing some anger or strong desire, you mirror that. You say, I see you feel strongly about this. Let's discuss it. Right. We talked about this in our episode about negotiating with jerks. Not that I'm calling your three-year-old a jerk, Jill, but you know, if someone's being angry, if an adult's being angry and slamming the table, you don't want to mirror their behavior, but you do want to recognize it and identify it. The second step is to kind of lay out and discuss all the choices. Often a child doesn't even perceive the full range of choices that might be in front of you. So you can brainstorm together, come up with ideas, and talk about the pros and cons of each of these choices. Get them engaged. So what are some of the choices you offer to Harper? Well, my mother-in-law once gave me advice to never give open-ended choices, like what do you want to wear? What do you want to eat? Because it's overwhelming to a child. She says, give your child binary choices. Do you want the red dress or the blue dress? It's a good technique for moving on (laughs) and making a choice, but it's not really a negotiation. Dr. Sawson explained to me that you're giving them a choice between the red dress and the blue dress, but that's not really much of a choice, and they're not exercising all that much free will in it. It's not really showing your kids that you respect them. So, Jill, is your mother-in-law right? This seems like a great chance for you to really hold one over on her. Well, I still do it all the time. It's the first thing that pops into my head. But what Dr. Sawson recommends is to give parameters and categories. So if I were saying to Harper, you know, what would you like to eat for breakfast? You can choose whatever you want as long as that there's a fruit in it and we have it in our refrigerator. Or if you're going to a toy store, you could say, okay, you can pick out a toy as long as it meets certain requirements. Maybe for you it has to be made of wood. And let your child choose within that. It makes them feel like they're playing a much greater role. Now, it seems like kids become little lawyers at a very early age. So what do you do when your little litigator is laying out their opening argument? Well, that's what you should encourage them to do. After you've expressed some empathy and you've gone through the choices, let them make their case. Let them make a big monologue case and show that you understand it. You know, repeat it back. I see your perspective. You want this because of this. And after they feel like they've had their say and that you really understood them, then make your case. But Dr. Sawson says there's something that parents often fall into that you should be careful of. We can err by repeating ourselves multiple times until the child ascends and says, I get it, I get it. They don't really mean they get it. They just have been forced into a helpless situation where um, they want out and that's the only way out. 
So you say explicitly, this is my perspective, this is your perspective, and I'm going to factor in your perspective as we make this decision. Now, what if you're at loggerheads if you just can't come to an agreement with your kid? Well, don't feel time pressured. Maybe your child wants a decision right away, but you're in control of the clock. Take a break. Take two days and say, you know, we're going to factor this in as we make this decision together. So in the midst of all these negotiations with your kid, sometimes things can get pretty contentious. I know I've seen on the subway parents and kids arguing, and sometimes just physically it gets so confrontational, the body language, the facial expressions. What are some things to keep in mind on that score? Dr. Sawson says, really pay attention to your own face. A wince or withering look can just damage the whole discussion. I can't tell you how strongly the nonverbal features carry the message. Children are heightened in their awareness of the furrowed brow or the tension that the parent's manifesting. So ideally, in all this negotiating that goes on, can the parent maintain a very respectful stance to a child who's, with far less experience than them, trying to make a rational, coherent, and heartfelt case for themselves? When I was thinking about this episode, the question that I had was, how do you negotiate with a whining, irrational, crazy child? And I'm often finding myself in the situation with Harper where maybe she'll make a good argument or a good point and something that I would ordinarily be willing to concede to. But she's doing it in a whiny voice. And I think, well, I can't concede to the whines because then I'm encouraging her to whine again in the future. And I was thinking how this translates into a, a teenager when, when she becomes a teenager and how maybe she'll be giving me a lot of pouty, sassy attitude. And you just don't want to be negotiating with that kind of tone of voice. What ifs, mom? <laughs> exactly. And Dr. Sawson says, well, you don't negotiate with a whining child and you don't negotiate with a full of attitude teenager. That's exactly when you take a break. One way of handling that with a teenager is to say to them, you're making some good points here, but if I respond right now, I'm going to be reacting to your tone instead of your good arguments, so I think we should take a break right now. Don't you ever just want to tell them to relax, just to cool it? (laughs) Um, This reminds me of our discussion with Lieutenant Jack Cambria. He's the head of the New York Police Department's hostage negotiation team. Uh, No doubt, Jill, sometimes you feel like Harper has taken you hostage. Yes, or I feel like she's acting like a crazed one. And... When someone's wild and frantic and yelling and crazed, he says there's one phrase you should never, ever say. Just calm down. Probably the worst thing you can say because I've never seen it work. Uh, You'll get a response like, just calm down. Do you know what he said to me? Uh, How dare you? You should never say that. And it causes quite the opposite effect. So uh, a better approach might be to mirror that individual's emotion. You seem like you are upset today. You're angry. Tell me why. And you'll get a response, well, yeah, I'm upset. Well, teach me. Tell me why. Maybe we can figure it out together. So by providing a venue for the individuals to kind of, you know, get their story out is what generally seems to work. And then I may relate this personal story. You know, so if it is an example about love, I can maybe relate a personal story about love going wrong in my life and uh, how devastated I was by that, but how I 
look to have overcome it. That was about negotiating with an irrational or an angry adult. But it's not that different than negotiating with children. In fact, Dr. Mark Sawson says most of the techniques that you use with children are exactly the same kind of techniques you use with adults. The crux of negotiating is taking his perspective, showing you get them. You understand their wants and you understand why they're thinking what they're thinking and, and they understand that you understand. They so want the child to see it from their point of view. The best way to do that is to show that they've worked hard to see it from the child's point of view. Perspective taking is the crux. You know, this is a key principle in interpersonal relations and in parent-child relations and even in some martial arts, like Aikido. You join the other's flow so that your understanding of where the other wants to go is what helps you guide them, perhaps more, in the direction you want them to go. Well, Jill, now you've gotten all this advice from this renowned child psychologist, so have you put it into action? I mean, how have your negotiations with Harper been going? One thing that I'm already appreciating is that she is able to express her reasons and what she wants and the reason why she wants these things. And even at the end, if I veto it and say, no, we're going to do it my way, it, it's really interesting to see that she can express even faulty logic. And I, I think it's worthwhile. It's sort of another reason to negotiate. That's it for Episode 9. In Episode 10, we'll talk about how to negotiate your salary. You can send us feedback and questions at our email address, podcasts, that's with an S, at slate.com. You'll find this in every past episode of the Negotiation Academy at slate.com slash negotiation. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. Our producer is Mark Phillips. I'm Seth Stevenson. And I'm Jill Barche. Happy haggling. See you next episode. Wow.